So that's the thing. I don't have one. I have three. <laughs> oh, wow. Tell me. My dad's French and my mom's English Turkish, but I was born in France. My mother tongue's English and I have a British accent. So <laughs> um, it's quite the story. And and uh, that's why it might be a little bit different than some of the profiles that you might have. Yes, that, this is an interesting one I haven't done. And I know with my knowledge, limited knowledge of France, I know that not everybody gets citizenship through birth. Welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our immigrant human library. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America, a place where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants living in the United States and around the world. Today, we have another uh, very intriguing story to add to our immigrant human library, and it's that of Christelle Denoyer. Um, welcome, Christelle. Thanks, Simone. Thanks for having me today. I'm very excited to be able to tell my story. I never thought it would be interesting to anyone. So thank you for letting me do this today. Wonderful. We're, we're happy to have you and looking forward to learning more about you. So can you tell us a bit about your uh, personal, professional background and what's your story of arrival? So my story is uh, my dad is French. My mom is English Turkish, but I was born in France. Um, and my mother tongue's English. So I have a very British accent, which uh, after my 13 years in America, doesn't sound as British as it used to when I first arrived. Um, and I came to the United States to San Francisco first to do grad school and study international business uh, at Holt International Business School. And I have been here for 13 years now. And I gravitated towards tech being in San Francisco and being introduced to that world uh, initially. And uh, I just went up the ladder uh, slowly. And I'm sure I'll be sharing a few details on that story a little later. But uh, I am in tech. I'm the former chief of staff to the CEO of Techstars. And um, I have been very excited to move to New York City, actually, after San Francisco and have been here for nearly 12 years now. And I just became a US citizen in January this year. So a lot to share uh, since the beginning of my arrival up until today, and uh, a lot of the twists and turns to the story and, and how I got here. Oh, wonderful. Okay, so very interesting background. So do you have multiple passports, it sounds like? I do. I do. Uh, I have multiple passports. I happen to have the British and the French. Um, and I have been, you know, what you call a typical third culture kid. So uh, I, I grew up with the Turkish culture, given that my family is uh, on my mother's side, uh, all Turkish. But my mom lived in England and immigrated from England to France when they got married with my with my father. And my father is French. Uh, so I was born with all three languages um, and I was told growing up that I would speak uh, many sentences with all three languages in one sentence. So, um, uh, it, you know, your brain is just like a sponge when you grow up and you happen to, to be able to take everything in and not make a lot of sense until much later. Uh, and uh, my dad at the time was working in Germany as well. 
so he was working in Germany during the week, coming back on the weekends. And, and uh, he was jealous that my mom was teaching me all these languages. And so he decided to teach me German on top of that. So um, I happened to, to start learning German when I was six years old. And, and uh, later on in life, I studied there and, and speak uh, decent German, I would say. Um, and then uh, later, I decided to take on uh, a fun challenge of learning Mandarin Chinese. And uh, I went to study there. Uh, when I was uh, 19 for over a year and I, I actually worked for the French committee um, for the during the Olympics which was fascinating and, and a great time to be in China actually so very exposed to multiple different cultures and and uh, and uh, I'm always learning I'm actually learning Spanish as of last year uh, because it's about time given the <laughs> amount of countries that speak Spanish and and that's the one that I should probably be taken on next and and uh, I think learning languages and uh, getting accustomed to cultures and and understanding people is just such a gift and and a challenge at the same time and and it's definitely something that I'm very passionate about. Yes I came across a podcast recently by a gentleman called Dr. Joseph Scholes called a deep culture podcast I don't know if you ever come across it. I haven't yet no. He has a term that he's coined, or I'm sure people have used it before, but for me, it's like new to my vocabulary that you're a bridge person, right? So you've been exposed to a lot of cultures. You um, have that cultural flexibility and adaptation because you were basically born into and have that interest of like, you know, learning people and their cultures, their languages and so forth. So yeah, that's what you are, bridge people. So I'm wondering, where do you call home? Ah, that's a great question, actually. Where I call home is pretty much where I lay my head down to go to sleep. <laughs> um, I The concept of home is an interesting one because I happen to have multiple. Um, I feel home when I go to Istanbul and I'm sitting down having a cup of tea. Uh, I feel home when I go back to London and I'm roaming through the cobblestone streets and, and um, you know, with my little umbrella and just looking at the the the, um, the windows and shopping around I feel home in New York City as soon as I land at La Guardia and I see the skyline um, I, I think it's wherever you you make memories for me is, is something that I call home um, I home is is where I am in the present and and uh, where my family is but my family is everywhere so it's uh it's it's an interesting question that I don't usually know how to answer. And, and, uh, and I think that's, what's beautiful about this world is that, you know, you get to, to call planet earth home. And I think that's, uh, that's one of the most beautiful things. And, and uh, yeah, the concept of home is something that I always struggle with. Yes. No, I completely get that. I can relate <laughs> having been here now 20 plus years and um another part of my life in another place. I have roots there, but I've been here so long. I feel like, you know, I'm changing. I'm holding on to some of my roots and becoming this hybrid person. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. So I get that. So the reason I asked what, where do you call home? Cause I'm wondering like, how do we answer this question? Like, what is home like for you? Like, you know, what were things you did for fun as you were growing up? What's, what was life like during your formative years? I, I imagine it's a little bit different from a lot of people since you have parents in two countries or three, you know, maybe three countries, it sounds like. Yeah, so I uh, boarded my first plane when I was two months old. And um, 
the growing up was wonderful because as I said like I spoke in English with my mom in French with my dad um and, and in Turkish with my grandmother and she would be the one who would tell me stories bedtime stories um when she would come visit and so you know we were an immigrant my, my mom was an immigrant in my home country so we didn't have her family which was the largest family because on my dad's side uh, it was just my grandparents and we didn't see them too often and the Turkish culture is so different from the French culture right like in French culture you see them for birthdays and Christmas whereas the Turkish culture they're just there uh reference to my big fat Greek wedding definitely similar um and so for us it was really just uh building community so my mom uh, showed me what it looked like So given that we grew up next to um, Euro Disney, which opened in 92, I'm a 90s baby, I'm giving up my age here. And um, we basically um, integrated the community of the engineers that were building Euro Disney. And so a lot of the time, the wives of the engineers, unfortunately, the wives weren't the engineers, the, the men were at the time, at least. And so I grew up with them and their kids. And that's where I picked up my British accent. It was from my mom. Mm. And so I really was bathed in the British culture and the American culture in a way growing up because of that. Because um, my mom did not speak French when she arrived in France. Uh, so growing up was really a mix of you know going to a French school so being bathed in you know the French culture with French friends and also having my British and American friends and and um a lot of people ask me why I love country music well because I was going to Billy Bob's and I was listening to our family friends playing country music uh, and so I, I was very privileged in that way to to be able to to do a lot of things that were from different cultures but I didn't quite realize as a kid you you, you just you know, you just enjoy whatever it is. And so you don't have those boundaries or those boxes where you're like, oh, this is an American activity. This is a British activity. It just is. Um, and, and mm-hmm. you know, eventually as you grow up, you, you unfortunately become biased and you, you start discerning things because people tell you and you, people define things for you. And so so it's just really interesting to, to grow up in, in that very multicultural um, environment. And so I sought that um, becoming an adult so I went and studied international business uh, in London and so we were over 80 different um, nationalities in that program and same thing at Holt when I came to the US uh, I was also studying international business and uh, and I think we were more than 100 uh, different nationalities in that program so I was always in those very international environments and just truly enjoyed that and and uh, thrived in the in those in those very culture-rich environments, and, and I always seek that. So. Very good. And I'm wondering, like, what's your favorite food? <laughs> oh, that's also another difficult question. I mean, the French food is just amazing, and I have to say the French desserts are just the best. I, you know, I keep eating all over. I've traveled to more than 50 countries, if not more. I, ha- I would probably have to count and update that list uh the french pastries are just the best um however the turkish food is excellent um and i think chinese food is also one of my favorite i I think i would put on six to seven kilos so that's about 15 pounds when i moved to china it was just so good uh and also the different regions have such different types of foods as well and styles so um i would say if i had to pick three because I can't pick one that would uh, that would just be unfair at this point it would be the French uh the Turkish and the Chinese food 
Very interesting. So you've given us a bit about your family heritage, and it sounds like your parents, are you all here in the United States alone? Do you have family, friends? What's your support group like here? I'm alone. So I uh, I just took a one-way ticket to San Francisco with two suitcases, and I said goodbye to my mom uh, back in Paris. I think I was flying from Paris at the time. And it was uh, September 9th, 2010. Uh, for whatever reason, those dates you never forget. And uh, yeah, no, I just arrived by myself and I had absolutely no one to support me. And uh, and today I still don't have my family with me, which, uh, you know, makes that expat community and immigrant community so important because, you know, it takes a village, not just to raise kids. It just takes a village to make it in any place, especially living in New York City, which is a true matrix. And um you know, it takes a lot of support and community and, and especially in New York City. I mean, there are more than 200 languages spoken in the city. And that's why I love the city so much, again, because I always seek that very cult- multicultural um, environment. And uh, and it's been really wonderful to be to be in the city and supported by so many different cultures. Actually, that's not always your own. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't have made it so far without my village. And, and I'm very blessed to have built that, um, you know, just by meeting people, going in the street, going to networking events at work, um, you know, doing all sorts of hobbies that I happen to have. And and uh, yeah, no, it definitely takes a village. And fortunately, my family is not here, but uh, they're always on the phone and WhatsApp. So. That's good. That's good. Yeah, you have a easy way, thankful to technology these days, to stay in touch on probably a daily basis, right? Uh, well, <laughs> you know, th- there's a reason I left <laughs> Europe <laughs> as often or as frequently as you'd like, right? That's you right. Know, you're That's able right. to pick up the phone. <laughs> Hi, mom. I'm good. I'm busy sending a message just telling you I'm okay. I get that, right? <laughs> busy life in New York City. So, Christelle, tell me, how was it like for you during your first year of arrival to San Francisco? How did you manage, you know, accommodation, et cetera? Because it sounds like you didn't have friends or family on this side. How did that work out for you? That's right. So I was arriving uh, and getting ready for the start of my program, grad school. And uh, I found a hostel in Tenderloin, which I had no idea what kind of uh, neighborhood that was until I got there. Um, And so I had booked it, I think, four or five nights thinking, okay, well, let's book that and see how it goes. Um, I really had no idea what I was doing. So I I just remember the morning waking up and being jet lagged. And it was the first time I was being jet lagged in that direction. Um, So it was a nine hour time difference. And so I woke up in the hostel and then I went down for breakfast and I was nervous, you know, you're, you're in this new place, everything feels and smells different. And, and you, you know, you just have breakfast and thankfully, you know, coming from an English culture, I was like, okay, similar to the British culture, uh, hot breakfast and savory, right? Um, which would be the opposite of French breakfast. And I was lucky enough that uh, somebody who was sitting next to me happened to be a student that was about to start the exact same program as me. So immediately we befriended. He ended up marrying my best friend uh, and they both live in Dubai now. He's Belgian, she's German um, and and they're they're happily married um, 
after I think 12 years now so so yes it was just great to meet someone and connect with someone immediately and and just you know nearly trauma bond if I may say um you know just with the anxiety and the fear but also the excitement and and uh being like okay let's stick together until we kind of start the program um and uh you know I finally understood and found out what Craigslist was at the time to try and find a place and uh, that was an interesting um, way of looking for a place and understanding, you know, crafting a message to make sure that you're liked and, and you know, you don't have a credit score. So understanding the whole credit score system and how that works. And you're like, oh, God, so I can't rent a full place. I have to rent a room that's sublet. Mm. that Somebody will like me enough to take me in. And so it ended up taking me three weeks. And uh, I, after that hostel time, which was four or five days, I got a message from a friend back home who said, hey, I have a friend in San Francisco. He can host you until you find a place, which happened. So I ended up crashing at that person's place, um, you know, for a good three weeks while I was uh, uh, house hunting. And it was really interesting because I have a British accent, much stronger back then than, than now. And turned out people liked that. And so I got in front of, you know, uh, lists, wait lists because of that, because people would just trust it more. I don't know, some weird bias for British accents, oh. which was working in my favor, which was incredible um, at the time. And also, um, you know, what was also weirdly interesting with that accent situation is that nobody understood what I said. So my first year, I was really frustrated because I spoke English, just like in America, but I was using all sorts of words that nobody understood. And I was speaking a lot faster and I was chewing all my words. And to this day, when I say I work for tech stars, nobody understands that it meant tech stars, you know? So like, it's really interesting how um, the accent always plays into miscommunication or, or some funny moments. And uh, definitely my first year was a lot of frustration in communication um, on top of, you know, my arrival that, that was a bit, a bit hectic I ended up moving in with an Italian a wonderful person whom I'm very uh friends with still and uh and you know again the multicultural environment that you just seek and and that culture richness that you, you're always around because immigrants just help each other out you know it's, it's tough to be here alone and so it always reminds them of when they arrived and and um it's pretty incredible the empathy and compassion that I've uh, received it's really wonderful it's good to hear. I just did a post recently about the color, deconstructing the color of language in the U.S. <laughs> I'd love to hear what you think. There was a lady who did a, a TED talk on, you know, the different, the biases with different sounding accents. Yeah. And I'll try to tag you on that if you can't find it. I'll definitely, uh, I would definitely be interested in listening to that. Yes, that was so interesting that you said that. Wow, so you speak English with a British accent, but most people didn't quite understand you, but they trusted to take you in. And I heard you say that you were on Craigslist, which over the years for me, I've always had a sense. I used it when I was in college to buy furniture and other things. Like if when I was, you know, moving from dorm to dorm or when I moved out to my apartment, if I needed to find any little knickknacks that people were reselling, I would buy. But then later on, they had some issues with safety for women. I think somebody got killed and they met up through Craigslist. So I was just like nervous when I heard you say Craigslist. I'm like, I hope you were able to find a place through, through other means. 
I didn't. I found it through Craigslist. Um, <laughs> yes, I found it through Cla- Craigslist. I had no idea that it was that, you know, scary. But I always, when I went to visit apartments, I always had a friend or somebody who knew where I was, uh, exactly for that reason, safety. Um, but, you know, I visited more than 25 apartments or something like that. I mean, it's a very competitive real estate market and also expensive. And I was, you know, a student. Um, so trying to trying to keep it as cheap as possible, but as safe as possible. But you asked me about my first year, there's a few other memories that come up, like my first baseball game. I had no idea how you played baseball. Uh, my first football game. So I went to watch, um, you know, Stanford and Berkeley, which was an epic game. Uh, I also was in San Francisco when they won the, uh, the World Series, actually. Uh, so that that was really great to see parades. The American parades are just a whole other world and universe. I mean, it's amazing with, you know, the cheerleaders and, and the bands. It's just such a American thing that you see yes. in TV shows. And so I got to see it firsthand. So it was very exciting. Um, and, you know, going to the uh, Redwood Forest, for instance, I had never seen trees that big and talking about size, like the portions of food. I mean, it's a whole other thing as well in America, like. Uh, very different and back then I wasn't vegetarian so in and out was the most amazing burger that I had ever eaten in my life at the time um, so a lot of firsts and 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 just you know fun fun moments discovering the, the American culture and learning um, learning that way and being exposed right and so I usually ask this question at the end but I just kind of felt it surfacing now because it's probably fresh of mine like I wonder was there any moment of faux pas that could be humorous and you would be okay this year was there anything during that first year that you're like you just socially oh that's not something you do American but you just didn't know is there any any anything you'd like to share about something that strangely happened to you there are a few but one thing that I would get frustrated with, I don't know if it's a New York thing, actually, but it's to get into the elevator and say, good morning. And nobody would respond. And I'm like, what? Why? Like, how rude? <laughs> oh, know, my God. People are known as being so proper, right? And so, um, yeah, it's just not a thing. So eventually I stopped doing it. And, and that was kind of interesting. Uh, another moment which isn't really related to culture, but it is related to work culture is my first. So I found my second internship and on my first day of that internship, they invited me out for coffee. I happened to not drink coffee, despite being French and somewhat a little bit Turkish and and all that stuff, which is a total like culture mismatch. Uh, I'm definitely a tea drinker, which is very English. Um, And so I never got used to it. And and I didn't want to say no. I thought, oh, you know, I have to fit in. And, you know, it, they're all going for coffee. And New York is such a coffee culture. So I went and I had my first latte. And I swear, my heart rate just raced the rest of the afternoon. And I became so anxious and nervous, miserable, that I promised myself since that day that I would never drink coffee again. And that has actually happened. <laughs> because I was so worried that, you know, you lose patience and you, you just, you know, even though it was my first day, you you just get irritated for no reason. And so it was, that was kind of a funny moment that I cherish now. And that I tell to a lot of my New York friends why I don't drink coffee. Um, so, so that's one. Otherwise, I think my first year faux pas, I've had lots of faux pas, but it wasn't my first year. 
um it was it was much later and mostly in relationships actually when I started dating so when you you know you start dating uh American so I'm I'm straight uh female dating in New York City and um you know there's just a few things that you as a very straightforward European uh as well as an empowered female it's kind of interesting um how how sometimes uh the very very uh strong masculine american uh sometimes doesn't take things well so <laughs> um i've learned that i had to be a bit more tactful and less direct than what i normally would with europeans and and uh, mm. so that's been definitely interesting for sure as an adventure um Right. It's interesting because you just validated me because coming from a different part of the world, I often wondered, um, some of my friends in college would tell me, oh, Simone, you're too picky or, you know, you're, you're too proper, you know, cause it was so strange to me. Cause in, in Jamaica, we walk, if you, you cannot walk around and not say hello. It doesn't matter where you are. You show up to the neighbor's house. You greet everyone sitting there. You say good morning. You go to the doctor's office, the pharmacy, wherever. You walk in and you say good morning. It does. If you don't know the people, it doesn't matter. You say hello. And my sister tells her story of being in school and saying yes, miss, or yes, sir. And how strange it was when we got here for to just be calling everybody by first names. Nobody speaks. And I eventually stopped and I found myself becoming a person now where I won't speak unless someone speak to me because over time it just grows on you and it actually does impact your, I can't explain it because you, you know, you just don't want to constantly be giving out greetings and no response from like people like, you know, they just walk past you when you're like, hello, good morning. How are you? And everybody just keeps moving. And it's like, I just, it's interesting. I'm still kind of unpacking that. It's a different, it just feels quite cold. And for me, it was more like I got exposed to that more in the D.C. area because I was in D.C. for a good in and out of D.C. for about 10 years. And uh, people really don't really I don't know what it's like in New York. It's probably a bit more extreme, I would imagine. But people are just more about like, what do you do? And professionally, how can we network and what's in it for me? And they're not really about forming any other warmth (laughs) in the relationship really so um I was just like wow so you're from another part of the world but you notice that immediately that people don't speak if you walk in on the elevator anywhere and say good morning it's either they don't move or they look straight at you and they won't respond <laughs> it's so strange yeah. to me I don't know like I I I have to say because building community has become something that I'm actually really focused on um given that new york city is a very lonely city i mean the rate of dogs per capita is the i think it's one of the highest in the world is in new york city because of that um Mm. i would have to fact check that so (laughs) yes but you can definitely tell and um you know just saying hello in my neighborhood because of people that eventually I'll jump I'll bump into um is something that I definitely do um intentionally um and you know Europeans always say oh Americans are so shallow it's really hard to become friends with them and I'm like well it's not that they're shallow they're actually really warm people they're really warm in the moments whereas 
in Europe, there's a loyalty kind of value that's a bit different. Um, it's just values and cultures are just different. And it's not better or worse. It's just different, right? And and I know that I connect with Americans really quickly. And I will have a conversation that could last three, four hours and then never see them again. Um, mm. Whereas in Europe, it's just harder to connect with people. But once you do, it's it's for a longer period of time. There's a friendship, however long that lasts. And 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 it, it's just different and there's no good about it it's, it's just wonderful actually and in, in if you can see the good in, in those two in those two scenarios um again like on planes i always speak to americans and because it's super easy to connect with them and they'll tell you their life story and show you pictures of their kids and everything and then again you'll never see them again uh whereas you know with europeans it's maybe a bit harder to connect. And if you do get them to tell you their life story, then we'll be friends for life kind of thing. Um, yes, yes. It's just I was thinking of an interview I did sometime last year with a lady, Lainey Denslow is her name. And she she has a book out called um, two books, one, World Wise, second, Working with Americans. And uh, she has the ex- she had this explanation that just it was groundbreaking for me because it put so much perspective on some of the experiences I've had, she she uses uh, the term peach and coconut. And she says, Americans are peaches, you know, easy to bite into, right? You get immediately to the juice and you can enjoy who they are, as well as people from other cultures, high context cultures, more collectivists, right? It ta- it's their coconuts. It's kind of hard for you to break through that shell. But once you do, you're in their space and you're friends for life, as you were just explaining. And I remember my a friend from college saying to me, oh, it takes some, it takes you a while to really get in with Simone. And I didn't necessarily realize that I was behaving that way. It just took me a while to really kind of decode like who are you and can I trust you and how why should I let you into my space and invite you to my family circle because I come from a big family on both sides mom and dad and we always are bringing friends home from college but I you know I'm very careful who I bring into that because we really kind of bring people in and um, so that made so much sense to me and now I find that um, I'm more on the peach side Mm after two decades here right I find like I open myself up so easily to people and I'm able to kind of share more easily and in some things it takes a while for you to really break through that coconut I feel like I'm still somewhat a coconut I'm kind of like in between like I'm peachy coconut I like to say (laughs) but um but sometimes what I feel like with strangers or with people outside, I feel like I've become very American, like in just talking and sharing that has really grown on me. Yeah. And what I like about the American culture is that authenticity and, and vulnerability. So so emotionally, I feel Americans are a lot more in touch with their emotions. That's why a lot of that creativity and innovation, you know, the, the, the Silicon Valley is here. Um, Hollywood's here. And, and so it, it's really aspects I love about the American culture and I think you're quoting uh, Fonz Trompenaz with uh, his book so I actually you know studying international business he came to speak at our university and that book became our bible um, with writing the waves of culture and so Mm -hmm. he exactly explains that concept of peach and coconut in there and you know the universalism um, and 
the particularism I can't even pronounce those words but um yeah it's right this right. concept and that book is amazing and everybody should read that uh that would help a lot of uh, miscommunications for sure and and just understanding including in the dating world not just professional world um and and yeah no it's definitely super interesting I've become I think I was always a peach because of my cultural background but I've definitely become even more of a peach um why the two different things i actually wrote recently a post on trust um on linkedin that went viral and to my biggest surprise actually it sometimes you know people need to trust more especially these days and there's a lot of uh, uh duality and 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 conflict and you know it's a bit of a mess the world these days and and so if people trusted each other more you know it'd be a better place and so sometimes you have to lead by example and and just be able to be authentic and vulnerable to give permission to others to do the same because everybody brings in their personal trauma however strong it is and and trust is directly linked to that and so for me what's really important is to be able to just you know open my arms to others and and lead lead by example and 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 as i said give permission um, because fear also you know to trust is, is a big thing and so um, I think if everybody trusted a little bit more um, you know the world would be a better place for sure right and I wonder how you know cultural intelligence is such a big deal for me as I've been doing this podcast and just really contemplating some of my experiences and wonder how have you navigated as an as a high achieving immigrant woman, like how have you navigated San Francisco, now New York for 12 plus years and being in the tech field as a woman, different cultures that you might be working with, you know, for me, it can get quite exhausting. Like it's almost code switching and it's almost like you need to code switch because you can't bring the very, like a very monotone personality in different spaces because you have to adjust yourself depending on who you're speaking to and I know there's a a group of folks out there who are saying that they're going to stop code switching they just want to be themselves and to show up authentically in whatever room they go but I'm not sure that will translate culturally depending on who your audience is so I wonder what your take is and how have you adjusted you know over time so for me, like I grew up in America, like my whole adult life in a way after grad school has been in America. And so my work style is very American. However, my communication style is very European, so very direct. Mm-hmm. Um, I've recently, and you know, growing up, so I started as an intern. Now I'm chief of staff to the CEO and so everything in between. And so I had to lead teams and lead teams through influence as a chief of staff. I didn't have a team per se. And so as soon as you go into management, forget about the cultural aspect because I've also mentioned that multiple times. It's like, you have to know your audience and you have to adapt to every single person. Um, So, you know, as a manager, you don't get to be yourself because you're not there for yourself. Mm -hmm. You're there for the people that work for you and directly report to you. And they're the ones doing the work, right? So you're there as a manager. and, And so it's not about you as a personality. And technically, if you are a manager, you should love people so much that you, you, you lead by example, but you, you also lead as a servant. And obviously it goes into all the different leadership styles. So so it really depends on the audience. And and um, I think having that flexibility, that awareness, I, I just finished a program called Positive Intelligence. It's pretty amazing. Oh, um, I'm interested. Yeah, that's been on my list. 
it, it's really amazing. And so it teaches you to uh, not get triggered uh, because again, like the sole foundation of relationships is trust. And so if you want a culture where everybody can be themselves, that means that everybody needs to be super trusting from the get-go that they all need to be aware from their triggers or share their triggers openly in order for other people to pay attention to that and be very mindful um, and and to build a strong, good culture. Because it could also be a, if I may say, bad culture where everybody's authentic, everybody triggers everybody and no one cares. And so everybody's miserable. Uh, and, And so I don't know, it could go both ways, right? And it really takes effort to give the benefit of the doubt to uh, have conflict management that actually works um, that, you know, and process around that. And I don't think any company or actual company culture fosters that openly and intentionally. Conflict management is really a thing that um, nobody really talks about and everybody talks about toxic cultures. And I think that would be a great solution, just throwing something out there uh, as a, you know, COO to be and, and, and chief of staff and culture is very important to me at work. Um, and, and really just building that intentionally is super important. Um, so how do I navigate that? I don't know. I just uh, figured it out trial and error. Um, you know, I built a company and I, I got some poor feedback at some point because my saboteurs were definitely leading the way I wasn't sleeping. I was, you know, building a company, that went from zero to $34 million in revenue. And so zero to 62 employees. And, you know, I was young at the time and still am. And so rough on the edges and, you know, focused on the outcome and not really focused on how people felt about it things. Um, and, and so you just like any manager, you just grow and learn and make mistakes and you get an executive coach, you get help at some point because you can't figure it all out by yourself and, and you get mentors and the chief network that I'm part of now, it has been phenomenal in that way. Um, and, uh, and you, you just, you know, work it through. And again, I worked in very international environments. Like I, I worked for a company that helped European tech companies come to the United States and establish their entities here. So I was already working in multiple cultures for German companies, Chinese companies, Belgian, Norwegian, Swiss. So, um, I, I could flex that muscle quite often and, 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 um, it, it was really great to learn all those cultures and, you know, when you come to the table where you don't expect the other person to know everything about your culture, it creates this very um, fun and interesting learning environment. And when there's clashes, then you talk about it, right? And very intentionally, and you say, hey, in America, this is how we do things. And then it invites conversation of, oh, well, in Norway, we do things this way. And then we're like, oh, <laughs> moments, right? Um, so so I, I think being aware as much as you can is important, but also being that teacher to others is very important and and not judge or condescend um, is super important because people don't know and that's okay. So, so yeah, that's, that's my take on it. Right. And as our world has become so global with, you know, business travel and international business and so much, so many interactions, like, you pick up the phone and you're doing business across the world and at any given moment this whole idea of cultural intelligence is so important and things not to do when you're dealing with certain countries and certain cultures and 
oh, I've had my own challenges <laughs> navigating the world work, the world of work here in the U.S. And it's funny, as I listen to people uh, talk about their experiences, light bulbs go off for me because I didn't quite know the language to put to some of my experiences. And it was funny because I heard you say that you're very direct in your communication and I tend to be that way too. I find that it has not been well received. I've had to kind of, which has been confusing for me because as a female, in order to be a leader or to, in the US culture, you are encouraged to be assertive. People really don't take you seriously unless you're very assertive, speak, learn how to speak up for yourself and, and so forth like that. So it's like, there's so many mixed messages depending on the room that you're in. If you're, as a woman, if you're assertive, then it's looked on differently. Right. And I guess that could be attributed to maybe biases and things like that. But it's been quite confusing here, I think, in the U.S., in the work culture, being assertive as a woman and how things are received. So it's been interesting. Because I, I was wondering, like, did I pick up this assertiveness and directness in communication here in the U.S.? Or did I already arrive with it? And Jamaica being a former British colony, I wonder... Like, did I pick that up there? It's hard to say now, but it's interesting to hear you say that you come from, that you're very, Europe has a very direct way of communicating. So I'm wondering if that is the British influence on the Jamaican culture. Um, and that is that where I got it or, but I feel like I've learned, I've had to learn to become assertive here in the US culture. I remember being in college and being very kind of passive in even adding comments when I was in class because I would be so timid in school back in Jamaica, you would have to raise your hand and be called on by the teacher, be acknowledged before you speak. And here you had to basically like contribute, you had contribution points. Like, you know, how are you interacting with the class? What are you sharing after you've read the chapter before? You you get contribution points as part, part of your final grade. And so it's been quite inter interesting, really, trying to figure out, like, where did I pick up these um, parts of who I am today? And um, over, the, over time, deciding, like, how will I change? I mean, like, how, when do I decide this is me authentically? And whether I'm received publicly or not, I really have to rest in being who I am. Because the, at some point, you feel like you're just constantly changing. Like you're just, you know, going in and out, morphing to whatever space you need to be. And it, it's exhausting, you know. That's true. It's a lot of outward energy that you have to put out there and it's hard to recharge, you know, your own tank. And, and especially if it's counter your own personality or your own essence. So, so there's a concept that I talk about quite often at this point it's masculine energy and feminine energy that everybody has and so the feminine energy is very sovereign and, and it's more um in the receiving type of um actions let's say uh and that nurturing side whereas the masculine energy is very much into doing very proactive you know go-getter type of thing and so um everybody has both of energies and the balance is different for everyone um the way I see myself, I used to be very shy. Uh, when I look at a photo of myself as a kid, like maybe four years old, I was very shy uh, up until 14. And then I started getting bullied at school. 
which definitely either you, 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 that's when you start building your, your defense mechanisms, right? After five mm-hmm. years old. And so mine was fight. Um, I also had a bit of a broken home situation. And so, um, you know, I, I, I was definitely not a flight person. Uh, so, so for me, I developed that muscle of, you know, go getting what I wanted. Nothing would be given to me. Um, and you know, as an immigrant in America, especially in New York, like you have to hustle, like finding your first internship when nobody mm-hmm. responds your visa. Like I had, I had no access to the McKinsey's and Bain's and BCG's after graduating, you know, from a master's in international business, nobody would sponsor a visa. So I had to get real creative, which was my feminine energy in how to strategize and then go get it, which required me to push myself outside of my comfort zone, go network, write messages to CEOs of companies like Tiffany and co who would actually respond to me on LinkedIn, which was crazy only in America, by the way, which is (laughs) wonderful. Um, And, you know, I would walk into stores like Ralph Lauren and Tiffany and hand give my, uh, my, my resume, like, my plan B was to make my plan A work, which was to stay in America and, you know, build a career for myself. And, um, you know, like, I think the few combinations of things is how you grow up, the semi-trauma, if I may call it that way, uh, in your family structure and how your parents raise you, that changes your actual inner essence, right? And then there's the environment you put yourself in. For me, it was, you know, being an immigrant in New York City, um, where it really pushes you to assert yourself, otherwise you just don't make it. It's that simple. Um, and then being a female in tech. And on top of that, I'm generally the youngest in the room. I somehow made it in rooms where most people my age don't make it. And and I don't even know how that happens, but it does. So, you know, when you're a minority, um, it's always harder because you you have to impose yourself. You have to make your voice. And it's not a natural thing for people to make space. Um, and I think that's what needs to change a little bit in leadership in general, like mentorship in business has not been a thing. Whereas in the medical world, you're not a surgeon if you can't mentor people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that needs to come back. Making space for others um, needs to happen because otherwise it's always the loudest voice, you know, the most extrovert person that gets most of the mic time. That's That makes no sense because that's not a balanced team. That's not a balanced, you know, leadership team for a company. So, so there's a lot of concepts that we could talk on about for hours, I think, in this, in this situation. But um, I think going back to our inner essences and being able to, to, to kind of break all those walls down that we had to build for ourselves to make it, to truly be happy and, and be in our true essence would be the most magical moment for this, uh, for this, you know, environment and world. And, the, the the other complicated aspect is the multi-generational aspect at work we mm. now have four generations at work and I talk about that quite often as well where it's impossible for us to all understand each other given where we come from and I think showing more compassion and understanding uh, you know from the younger generations towards the elder generations but also the elder generations to be a bit more patient um and and also give a little bit more credit you know um ageism has been a thing that i've suffered a lot from uh for instance when i in fact have more experience have been exposed to a lot more than certain people in corporate america to this day as i'm job searching 
I cannot get access to jobs in larger co companies because they all tell me, oh, you've only worked in smaller companies, so you don't know anything. I mean, that's ridiculous. Hmm. So, so you know, the, there's bias that everybody needs to work through. And, and, you know, I think we talk about that word a lot. And I think the consciousness is definitely raising a lot and people are being forced to learn more about, uh, you know, dealing with it. And that's wonderful. Um, we're not quite there yet. And that's okay. It's a process. And, uh, and I think just, you know, being able to be a female in tech um, in rooms that are quite influential is wonderful. And I think um, showing compassion and giving feedback, constructive feedback, that's not aggressive or attacking is super important in order for, you know, the change to continue and accelerate. Um, and I think everybody trusting that everybody's there for, you know, everybody's good and, 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 and building a culture of uh, authenticity and, uh, you know, critical, uh, you know, feedback and, and, and that's compassionate, I think would really help. Um, make things better and, and I know a lot of leaders out there doing the work and a lot of aren't um and so it's for all of us to you know it takes two to tango right so right there's uh, yeah so much work to do there's so many intersections I think as immigrants that we have to immigrant being a woman and then for me being a, uh, a woman of you know I would fall in the black American group here Join us again next time for part two of this episode. Friends, as always, please subscribe, comment, and share if you enjoyed this interview. If you're passionate about telling immigrant stories, our team is looking for help. If you're willing to help with podcast production, social media, or Patreon management, please reach out to us. You can also donate on our Patreon if it's easier for you. All the links are in the description below. Thank you. We thank our listeners around the world and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review, subscribe and share with your friends, family and circle of influence.